the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, went to him and said, This is what the Lord says. Put your house in order, because you are going to die. You will not recover. Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. Remember, Lord, how I have walked before you faithfully and with wholehearted devotion and have done what is good in your eyes. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah. Go and tell Hezekiah, this is what the Lord, the God of your father David, says. I have heard your prayer and seen your tears. I will add 15 years to your life, and I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria. I will defend this city. This is the Lord's sign to you that the Lord will do what he has promised. I will make the shadow cast by the sun go back the ten steps that has gone down on the stairway of Ahaz. So the sunlight went back the ten steps that had gone down. A writing of Hezekiah, king of Judah, after his illness and recovery. I said, in the prime of my life, must I go through the gates of death and be robbed of the rest of my years? I said, I will not again see the Lord himself in the land of the living. No longer will I look on my fellow man or be with those who now dwell in this world. Like a shepherd's tent, my house has been pulled down and taken from me. Like a weaver, I've rolled up my life, and he has cut me off from the loom. Day and night, you made an end of me. I waited patiently till dawn, but like a lion, he broke all my bones. Day and night, you made an end of me. I cried like a swift or thrush. I moaned like a morning dove. My eyes grew weak as I looked to the heavens. I am being threatened. Lord, come to my hate. But what can I say? He has spoken to me, and he himself has done this. I will walk humbly all my years because of this anguish of my soul. Lord, by such things people live, and my spirit finds life in them too. You restored me to health and let me live. Surely it was for my benefit that I suffered such anguish. In your love, you kept me from the pit of destruction. You have put all my sins behind your back. For the grave cannot praise you. Death cannot sing your praise. Those who go down to the pit cannot hope for your faithfulness. The living, the living, they praise you as I am doing today. Parents tell their children about your faithfulness. The Lord will save me and we will sing with stringed instruments all the days of our lives in the temple of the Lord. Isaiah had said, prepare a poultice of figs and apply it to the boil and he will recover. Hezekiah had asked, what will be the sign that I will go up to the temple of the Lord. This is God's word. Let me lead us in prayer, and then we'll look at this uh, curious account together. Our great God and Father, we thank you that in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have one who is absolutely trustworthy. And so as we turn back to your word once again, we help us understand it rightly, this curious account of Hezekiah and his illness. But above all, would you help us fix our eyes upon the Lord Jesus Christ, who is trustworthy. Deepen our faith in him, again we ask. For our good, for his name's sake. Now, if you're just joining us tonight, uh, we're spending a month then in this little section of Isaiah, chapters 36 to 39. It's the turning point uh, of the whole book. It's the end of book one of uh, Isaiah, chapters one to 39, chapter 40 is book two. Um, it's the turning point. But the, the subject really of these chapters, 36, 7, 8, 9, is who will you trust? And what will you trust? It's banged away at each and every chapter. Who will you trust? 
Now, one little thing I quite enjoy spotting every year is um, it gets published and it came out fairly recently is the uh, Ipsos Mori produced the annual Veracity Index, which is they take out a load of professions and ask which is the most trustworthy of all professions. And uh, number one has been, uh, in, in, uh, number one ever since they started producing this thing about a decade ago, the most trustworthy profession in the UK? Vicar, sadly not. Um, doctors are number two. Teachers and accountants. <laughs> Somewhat self-interested. 96% uh, of the UK population trust nurses. Consistently the most trusted profession. Doctors just a little bit behind them, number two, 92%. But nurses, um, uh, you're much loved. Uh, uh, and usually this year, uh, politicians came off last place. Oh, so last year in last place, year before in last place. Actually, before that, it was estate agents. But um, the last couple of years, uh, it has been uh, um, politicians, although still only 19% of the UK population trust politicians. So when Boris says, we must deliver Brexit or there'll be a collapse of trust, too late. Too late. Trust is already gone. But uh, the least trusted profession now in the UK, worse even than politicians. No, bank has actually gone up by 10 points in the last five years. People's memories are very short. Um, it's those in the advertising profession. Sorry, sorry those who are here in advertising. Sorry, so sorry. Uh, only 16% only of the population trust you. But you're loved here. You're loved here. Don't trust you, but we love you. Um, and that's good. No, I think it's always quite fun. But this section, chapters 36 to 39, who will you trust? No, you. Who, who will you trust? ultimately with your life. So if you hear chapter 36, who will you trust when your faith is mocked? Chapter 37, who will you trust when you're surrounded by trouble? Uh, and then these chapters 38 and 39 are negative ones. So next week will be don't put your trust in wealth, chapter 39. But here in chapter 38, don't put your trust in princes. Even a king as brilliant as Hezekiah and 2 Kings 20, the, the narrator there says he did everything right in the eyes of the Lord. He's as good as it gets, Hezekiah, in the whole of the Old Testament. Don't put your trust in him. Don't put your trust in princes. Now, if you've been here, Hezekiah has been the sort of hero of uh, the last few weeks. And uh, as I said, in this section of Isaiah 36 to 39, it's the turning point of the book. Uh, chapters 1 to 35, pretty much... Uh, Isaiah has been saying, you're about to be invaded by Assyria. You're about to be invaded by Assyria. What are you going to do? You're about to be invaded by Assyria. Uh, and then chapter 36, they get invaded by Assyria. Uh, chapter 37 is, is sort of Hezekiah's finest hour. Despite the odds, despite the fact that he, the, the city is, Jerusalem is surrounded by the global superpower of the day. 44 other cities have been destroyed by uh, the Assyrian army led by Sennacherib the king. Hezekiah says, you will lose. And he's mocked, and everyone laughs at him. How can you say that? You've got nothing. You haven't got any... I'll give you all my tanks, essentially. I'll give you all my horses if you can put riders on the hood. You haven't got any riders, uh, says the king of Assyria. But Hezekiah, it's his finest hour of faith. He says, I trust the Lord. And Sennacherib is defeated. And it's like the end of a great long series of blockbusters, like coming to the end. 
I know, the Lord of the Rings, Nine Hours, or even 22 Marvel films, you come to the end of this long cycle, and the good guys win. Hooray! Chapter 36 and 37. And then we get this strange incident here. The odd thing, and just bear with me, it doesn't sound important, but it's the key to the whole section, or key to our chapter tonight, so bear with me on this. What we get in chapter 38 is a prequel. For some reason, Isaiah, rather than telling the story chronologically, says, oh, this is marvelous when Hezekiah trusted the Lord and, and the Assyrians were defeated. Now, let's go back 10 years earlier and talk about a sickness he had. The, you, the, the dates are super clear in the book of two kings. You can see Hezekiah, I've scored it on your sheet, he becomes king in 726 BC. Judah is invaded 25 years later, 701. He dies, 696. But this incident is 15 years before he died. So we were about 711 BC. It's a decade earlier, or in our passage tonight, chapter 38, verse 6. Hezekiah is told, I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria, brackets, when he invades in 10 years' time. So the writer has switched the order around. We've gone back in time here. It's a prequel. And so, of course, you ask, why? Why would he do that? And I think we'll see it's for two reasons. The first is, so we understand how it was that Hezekiah could have his moment of glory, his finest hour in the year 701 BC, because in his sickness a decade earlier, the Lord had taught him had nurtured his faith, grown his faith, so that he was a man who could stand up, despite all the odds, despite the fact that you know, it's obvious that he was going to lose. No, no, he could trust the Lord. That's the first reason. And the second, well, the second it seems to be so that Isaiah says to us, yeah, don't say Hezekiah was amazing. Say Hezekiah was good, but he was flawed. I mean, he died for a start, and we'll see next week in chapter 39, he was corruptible. So Hezekiah is great, but don't trust him. You need, you need to look beyond him. There will be a better king that you need. And he gets described in great detail in uh, uh, chapters 40 to 55 of Isaiah, as the Lord Jesus Christ is described in those chapters. So for those two reasons, okay, here's how you learn how Hezekiah was a man of faith, and it's looking beyond him. So I want to look at it in those two ways, okay? So just two points tonight. Isn't that a bonus for you on a hot evening? Um, just the two, and we'll be shorter-ish. Um, so let me look at it in these terms. A man whose pain led to faith, and the king whose pain led to life, okay? So first of all, as an example for you and me, a man whose pain led to faith, and then secondly, Hezekiah, Hezekiah points beyond himself, the king whose pain led to life. Let's look at them both. First then, he's an example. He's a man whose pain led to faith. Now chapter 38 and verse um, verse 1, it's pretty brutal, isn't it? In those days, Hezekiah became ill and was at the point of death. And so the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, comes to him and says, yeah, you're right, you're about to die. You feel like you're about to die? You are about to die. Uh, and it's a bit brutal, isn't it? This is what the Lord says. Put your house in order. You're going to die. You will not recover. Ouch. 
I mean, that sounds pretty final, doesn't it? But look what Hezekiah does. I feel like I'm about to die. God's prophet Isaiah says, you are about to die. But he doesn't just roll with it. He's not apathetic. Verses 2 and 3, he prays despite this word from God. Verse 2, Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. Lord, remember how I walked before you faithfully and with wholehearted devotion and have done what is good in your eyes. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. He, well, let me just make three little observations. The first is he's honest. He pours out his heart to his heavenly father and says, I don't want it to go like this. I'm 39 years old. I've got no kids. I'm not ready to go. I mean, the whole house, my the house, the line of David, what is going to die out? I, I'm not ready to go. Just very honest here. Now, you might say, well, he overstated. Remember the Lord, I've walked before you faithfully. But remember, 2 Kings 22, verse 2, the narrator there can say, no, no, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He really was a good king, the best of kings in the Old Testament. But he's honest. He says, Lord, I, I'm gutted. I don't want to be like this. There's honesty. There's trust, of course, here in this prayer. He, he knows something about the character of God. He says, Lord, I, I hear what Isaiah has said, but I know your character. I know what you're like. I, I know you have mercy. Look, I, I know, I can see from other saints in the Old Testament, Moses, you said there's going to be a judgment upon Israel. He said, I know your character, Lord. He prayed and and you have mercy upon the Israelites. Or, or Amos, again, you, you said to him, oh, there's going to be judgment. And well, he prayed despite it. And you have mercy. I know your character, Lord. King David, my ancestor, you said to him, your, your son is going to die. And he said, yeah, but I know the character of the Lord. Who knows what may happen despite this word. Lord, I know what you're like. You reveal information to your people in order to draw out their prayers. Lord, I know your character. You don't change, but sometimes you tell us stuff to make us pray. I know what you're like. I trust you, Lord. Now, you and I don't have Isaiah to bring us a direct word from the Lord, but in adverse circumstances in sickness, we pray, help. I don't want this. Who knows? what will happen. Lord, I know your character. I know you're good. I know you're kind. Look, if this sickness overtakes me, I, I know you have good purposes, but I, I'm going to ask. Well, the Lord's answer comes in verse 4. The word of the Lord came to Isaiah. Go and tell Hezekiah, this is what the Lord, the God of your father David says. I've heard your prayer. I've seen your tears. I will add 15 years to your life, and I'll deliver you in this city from the hand of the king of Assyria. I'll defend this city and get a strange sign to back it up. So look, there's this thing to it. You can learn from Hezekiah's honesty, learn from his trust. But just briefly, I just want to dip into, and um, we'll come back to it in more detail, the, the, the song he writes. But look at his conclusions, particularly verse 15 to 17. As he sings about what has happened, verse 15, Hezekiah says, What can I say? 
He, the Lord, has spoken to me, and he himself has done this. He made me sick. So what will I do? Well, I'll walk humbly all my years because of this anguish of my soul. Oh, it's changed me. I'm not the man I was before this sickness. I walk differently before him now. Oh, verse 16, Lord, Lord, by such things people live, my spirit finds life in them too. You restored me to health. You let me live. Verse 17, surely it was for my benefit that I suffered such anguish. Wow. It was for my benefit, for my good, for my prospering, for my health long term, spiritually. It was for my good, my benefit, that I suffered this anguish. It's not glib. Anguish. Verse 15 Anguish of my soul. Verse 17, anguish. It's quite something to say, isn't it? It was for my benefit that I suffered such anguish. So here's the backstory for how, when the land is invaded, and all the cities have fallen and only Jerusalem's left. And this pitiful little city is surrounded by the greatest superpower the world had ever seen. Hezekiah said, you won't win. Because God told me you won't win. And I trust him. And a decade ago, I was sick. And I learned deeply to put my faith in him at those times. It was for my benefit that I went through that anguish 10 years ago so that I trust him now. It's quite something to say, isn't it? I'm very grateful that Jay was able to stand up and say that tonight. Um, I don't know how well you know Jay. But she's a pretty happy woman. She's a great encourager. And for her to stand up and say, yeah, yeah, for 11 years I've known chronic pain. And the Lord has used it for my good. I have a richer blessing. I have a, the blessing of a richer faith with him. I speak to people I never would have done. It was for my benefit that I endured such anguish. Wow. In truth, I don't know many spiritually mature Christians who have not experienced, experienced anguish of some kind. I'm not sure we all say that. It was for my benefit that I suffered such anguish. If you're alluding to things I've experienced, I'd say the anguish in our family's life. I don't know what good it achieved. I trust it was good. I trust it was for my benefit. Don't always see it. Can't always define it. Hezekiah could say, it was for my benefit that I suffered adversity. So there's a man whose pain led to faith. 
And I guess the question for you and me is, what do we do when sickness, adversity like that comes? Do we trust the Lord? Who do we trust? He's a man whose pain led to faith. <clears throat> secondly, secondly, he's the king. He's the king whose pain led to life. Let's look at this song then he composed after uh, getting better. Now, last month or so, six weeks or so, whatever ago it was, that I uh, sort of drafted the series and where we were going to go in this sermon series, doing some preliminary work, and I sent some of my thoughts to Bensley, who then puts the services together and the songs. I said, the, the working title for the service tonight, I thought the sermon would be titled, When God Saves You, You Sing. Because, I, you know, this broken Hezekiah is saved, and then he writes a song, and you think, great, when God saves you, you sing. So we'll have a sermon, and then we'll sing loads of songs, because that's what you do. When God saves you, you sing. Uh, but then this week, I spent much more time looking at the psalm more carefully. And of course, if you may have spotted this straight away, it's a really miserable song. I mean, the bulk of it is all about his mortality. I mean, you thought if you're thinking, if you cock a hoop, I was sick, but now I'm saved. I'm healed. Hooray. It's only the last two, two verses that get any thanksgiving. The bulk of it is, I almost died and I will die in the future. Great. I mean, I don't know what tune you put to it. I'm 39, I almost died. But now I'll die at 54. Yeah, a bit more upbeat, Hezekiah. Anything to cheer us up? It's a very gloomy song, actually. Very odd. So verses 10 and 11. In the prime of my life, must I go through the gates of death and be robbed of the rest of my years? I said, I'll not again see the Lord himself in the land of the living. I'll no longer, will I look on my fellow man or be with those who now dwell in this world? I'm too young to die. I don't want to go. 39, I want to have a family. Too young. These pictures of verse 12, like a shepherd's tent, my house has been pulled down and taken from me. Well, a shepherd's tent is like any tent. It's not very permanent. You, you have it there, and then the next day, the sheep have eaten all the grass, so you move it over there, and then you move it on and move it on. But someone's nicked his tent. I mean, the tent's not very permanent. There's a house anyway, and someone's taken it from him. Or like a weaver who's spent, I don't know, what do I know about weaving? But a weaver who spent two months making some rug. You know that extraordinary rug shop on Piccadilly? Do you ever walk past it? They're enormous. They're about three times the size of that screen. Who buys a rug for £100,000 or whatever they are? Let me know. Put, put your money to better use. But um, look like a weaver who spent weeks on some rug. Someone's come and nicked it. Someone's nicked my rug off the loom. My life has been taken from me. Like a mugger stealing a wallet, my life is gone. I'm not ready. I don't want to go. Verse 13, I, I, these miserable verses, really, I, I, it just all grew worse. I waited patiently till dawn, but like a lion, he, the Lord, he broke all my bones. Day and night, you made an end of me. I cried like a swift or thrush. I moaned like a mourning dove. Um, this is what it sounds like when doves cry, apparently. He's, um, he's writing, my eyes grew weak as I looked to the heavens. I'm being threatened, Lord. Come to my aid. Oh, Lovely. Not going to chart very well, is it? Verse 15, what can I say? He's spoken to me. He himself has done this. I'll walk humbly all my years because of this 
anguish of my soul. Verse 16, the mood starts to lighten a little bit, but there's still no thanksgiving till right at the end. Verse 16, Lord, by such things people live and my spirit finds life in them too. You restored me to health. You let me live. Great. It was for my benefit that I suffered such anguish. In your love, you kept me from the pit of destruction. You put all your all my sins behind your back. Well, that's good. Verse 18 is a sort of classic Old Testament view of death. When you die, it's the end. Verse 18, the grave cannot praise you. Death cannot sing your praise. Those who go down to the pit cannot hope for your faithfulness. No clear hope of the resurrection that believers this side of the cross have. And then at the end, okay, at the end you get some light. Verses 19 and 20. The living. Ah, the living. They praise you as I'm doing today. Parents tell their children about your faithfulness. I'm going to get to have kids and talk to them about you. That's great. Verse 20. The Lord will save me and we will sing with stringed instruments all the days of our lives in the temple of the Lord. Now, why do we get such a gloomy song focusing on mortality and death? It's just curious how Isaiah, the same story in two kings, it's there. You don't get this song. Only Isaiah records the song. Otherwise, verses 1 to 9, they're kind of there verbatim in two kings 20. But this song, why? And again, the order. It's like you were writing, you know, the obituary of Winston Churchill when he died. And of course, you write about the war years. You write about 1940 to 45 and his finest hour and how he rallied the, the, the nation and, and was the, the most fated leader in many ways in, in the whole of the Western world. And, as, you know, he, and then you say, but in 1915, he had a complete shocker. And I'm going to spend as much time to, in my obituary talking about the Gallipoli campaign, which he sort of designed in 1915, which led to 500,000 uh, allied uh, soldiers losing their lives. Let me tell you much about, more about that. And that's what I want to leave you with when you think about Winston Churchill. That'd be odd. Why not celebrate the good? There's plenty of good. Why end on the bum note? But that's exactly what Isaiah does. He says, oh yeah, there's these great days, chapters 36 and 37. But let me tell you about other things. Let me remind you of a decade earlier, Hezekiah almost died and then wrote a song that he would die. And then in chapter 39, we'll see him being corrupted by wealth. Let me end on a bum note for Hezekiah because he's a good king. But he's only a human king. So he's a flawed king. He's a mortal king. You don't want to put all your trust in him. At the end of part one of Isaiah, the last word recorded about Hezekiah is failure. Because before chapter 40 begins, book two of, of Isaiah, he wants to say, yeah, Hezekiah did a good job, but don't trust him. Trust in the Lord. Don't put your trust in princes, no matter how great they are. Trust in the Lord. Now for some here, this is a timely and poignant message this week. Not all, but uh, uh, some here will know of the uh, inappropriate behavior, behavior of a senior Christian leader that was made public this week. 
if you don't know the details, if it's not edifying, I don't suppose you need to know, or, or, although it's all in the public domain. Uh, nothing criminal, but uh, here is a man who abused his position of authority in a immoral fashion, unacceptable fashion. And uh, there's a notice about it. Someone had picked up the uh, just a reference to some stuff in the notices, and the, the website walkingwith.uk is profoundly helpful. But if you're unsettled by the failure of a human leader, as it's very normal and natural to be, to feel disillusioned, to feel betrayed, bewildered that a senior Christian figure would, with great influence could act in an evil and damaging way, Isaiah would say, don't put your trust in the king. Don't put your trust in princes. Don't put your trust too much in a leader. Because every pastor has feet of clay, as do you. And every Christian pastor has ongoing battles with sin. As do you. And every Christian leader needs to be accountable to friends. As do you. Good spiritual leaders are God's gift to the church. But don't idolize them. Isaiah said to the people of his day, to the Israelites in the Old Testament, wasn't it great? Wasn't it great those days in 701 when Hezekiah was king? They were great days. Don't trust him too much. Because do you remember a decade earlier, he almost fell. And he did in the end get corrupted by money. Even your best of kings would die. Even your finest leaders would leave. Psalm 146 would put it, don't put your trust in princes. But there's another point here that um, you only really get when you keep reading in the book of Isaiah. There's a connection in the text here that's a little hard to spot, actually, in this translation. Let me try and draw it out for you. I wonder, um, Andy, you got that slide. So here in this chapter, chapter 38 and verse 9, we're told it's a writing of Hezekiah, king of Judah, after his sickness, Chala. You get to the description of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, the suffering servant, Isaiah 53.10. It was the Lord's will to crush him and cause his sickness. And then you look at this song that Hezekiah writes, and you think, verse 11, he was almost cut off from the land of the living, and Isaiah 53 will tell us that Jesus was cut off from the land of the living. And you think, verse 13, it was like his bones were broken. And we'll be told in Isaiah 53, in the accounts of Jesus upon the cross, his bones were broken. And we're told in verse 17, Hezekiah knew that somehow all of his sins were put behind the Lord's back. And we know now that it was the death of the Lord Jesus Christ that put all of our sins out of God's sight. And verse 18, Hezekiah didn't want to enter the grave, but Jesus did enter the grave, but he couldn't hold him. And verse 20, do you see the change from singular to plural. Hezekiah says, the Lord will save me and we will sing with stringed instruments. And if you're a Christian, you know that God rose Jesus from the grave and he sings and he leads us, he leads us in the singing. Because he rose, we will rise and we will sing. We have a better king than Hezekiah and so we have a better hope.
we have a hope that goes beyond death. But we sing three times the book of Isaiah is very deliberate, possibly four, ambiguity on that. But he, the, the movement throughout the book is the Lord wants to move his people from sinning to singing. It is always a response to the Lord's work in, in the book of Isaiah, even a downbeat song here. He wants to move us from sinning to singing. There was a fabulous little story on the news. It was about 18 months ago now. I just happened to be watching the news and BBC, and uh, 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 there's a story of Reuben Hill. One or two here might have known him, because he went to university here in London. And uh, Reuben Hill, he went, underwent pioneering brain surgery. And uh, the unusual thing about it was that even though he was, of course, medicated, um, during the surgery they kept him conscious because this pioneering laser surgery in his brain, they needed to know they weren't destroying communicative language functions. So they said, even though he's heavily sedated, heavily drugged, we need you to sing while this operation is taking place. And so I had this footage on the, on the BBC News of him, I was mildly macabre, you know, whoop, skin folded back. Uh, it was 10 o'clock, it wasn't 6 o'clock um, news. And uh, this, this lad mumbling away a song, and it was sort of, you know, drinking a last cup of tea, looking at the newspaper, vaguely watching the news. And um, uh, then I heard what he was singing. Then it became a whole lot more interesting because the lad was mumbling. Do you see this? I was sedated, but the sun comes up. It's a new day rising. Whatever may pass and whatever lies before me, let me be singing when the evening comes. Let's pause. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, O oh my soul. And you think, that's lovely. That's lovely. I suppose many of the journalists, the, the cameraman quite clocked what he was singing, a song that we often sing. There's a lad saying, look, whatever may pass, whatever lies before me, whatever this surgery does to my brain, whatever adult state or healed state I come out in, bless the Lord. Because I have a hope. I have a hope that no doctor actually can give me no leader, spiritual, political, can give me. I have a hope of new life in the world to come. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. So you and I, we can sing. Look, here's a man in Hezekiah, a man whose pain led to faith. He learned. It grew his faith, uh, this, uh, this incident with his sickness. M more than that, I guess, he's a king whose pain led to life. He says, don't look at me. Don't put your trust in me. He's looking beyond himself. He's learned that. He's saying, one will come who's greater than me. So we can move to singing when we look to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because men can fail us, but Jesus never fails us. Um, men and women can change, but he never changes. And humans can break their promises but he never breaks his promises. And humans will betray you, but Jesus never will betray you. And even your greatest of leaders will die. But Jesus lives forever. 
So put your trust in him. Who will you trust? Oh, don't put in any human leader, per se. Only as much as they point you to Jesus. Put your faith in him. Let's pray together. Our great God and Father, we pray that you would work in us the ability to respond like Hezekiah the man and say of our anguish, our adversities, that they were for our benefit because you grew our faith, you deepened our trust in you. And then, Father, would we learn from even this great king Hezekiah, he died, he failed, we need one better than him. Would we look at the one to whom he points, the one who was cut off from the land of the living, the one who did enter the grave, but could not be held by it? Would we place our trust in Jesus for our good, for his honor, for your glory we pray it. Amen.